Tonight's reading is from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, and it's the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided this prop- his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son uh, got together all he had, set off for the distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, yet I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son, for, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has, sent, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours, who, who was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. Hey everyone, um, it's an honour today to be taking Larry's place. He's quite unwell at the moment. And I got a message from him uh, last night saying if I could just fill in. And to be honest with you, my first thoughts was, yikes. <laughs> um, but the good thing about this is that 
I get the opportunity to share something with you that isn't a part of the series, although I will share a little bit in Colossians, but it's something that's really from my heart. And something that has also spoken to me, um, this, this spoke to me a few years back, and as a result, it really changed the way in which I looked at my own faith and also my responsibility as a Christian. Now, we're going to be looking at the prodigal son today, Um, this story that I'm sure most of you are well familiar with. I mean, it's one of the first Sunday school stories that you learn when you're a child, right? You know, you learn about the father who stands there waiting for the son to return, and you hear about the son who is so, well, mean to the father. He, he, He goes and he asks for his inheritance and squanders it over pigs. And, you know, then I had this, um, as a result, I had this narrative within my mind, um, almost this picture book um, narrative of what this parable means. But as I got older, I realized that this parable is so much more than that. And sometimes because we look at the scripture through a lens in which is very Western and 21st century, We miss out on the little details in which Jesus is trying to communicate with the audience. So I encourage you today, let's take a look together in the Word, in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. We're going to look at it together and we are going to open up our hearts and just ask what the Spirit wants to say to us personally. Because I believe that Jesus' parables are designed to be... uh, be in a way to target directly into the heart. So just like every week I say this, um, please open up your Bibles. Uh, Today we do not have any slides. In fact, I've only got the one picture in the background, which I last minute threw up. So it would really help me if you open up the Word, whether it's through your phone or through an actual physical Bible. So first of all, um, today we're going to look at this passage and try to look at it in a different light. And towards the end, what I'm going to do is dovetail back into Colossians because we are doing a series in Colossians. And I think it's important as well that we tie it together. And it won't be Colossians 4, unfortunately. I'll be talking a little bit from Colossians 1. So the parable of the lost son. Really, I believe that it should be the parable of the lost Sons, because notice that there are two sons here in the scripture. Two sons. But before I start, I want to ask you this question Who was Jesus talking to? Who was the audience here that Jesus was actually physically preaching, sharing to? See, in my mind, I always thought to myself, oh, it's, it's the tax collectors and the sinners. It makes sense, right? The lost son. But let's take a look together, starting at verse 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says here, have a look. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering near Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There were two people, types of people there that day that Jesus was addressing. Number one, the tax collectors and the sinners, which symbolizes all those people that are with sin in their lives, that are detestable in the society of the day. But the interesting thing is, 
There was also a second group there, Pharisees. That is found in this text. Okay. And it's also interesting with this, with, the, with, with this story, with the parable of the lost son, is that within the cultural context, we sometimes miss this one particular phrase. And we've seen it again and again, and we've heard it in um, the book of Colossians in chapter one. Jesus, the firstborn of all of creation. The word firstborn in those days didn't necessarily mean that you were the first one born. In fact, if you have a look in the Bible, in Chronicles 5.2, it says that though Judah was the strongest of all the brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. So if you don't have to be first one born to be a firstborn, what does that actually mean? Because, and this word, understanding it, will completely change the way that we see the parable of the lost son. So first thing, what does a firstborn son actually mean? So it doesn't mean literally the one first one born out of the womb, but it means three things. The firstborn son had a special inheritance. So what happened was when the father, the father, when he comes, goes to an age of retirement, what he would do is he would divide the estate into different portions for the sons. But the firstborn son would get double portion of inheritance. So it's pretty good being the firstborn son, right? You get double portion of the inheritance. And this doesn't just include money, but it includes land. It includes cattle. It includes whatever the father owns. The firstborn son would get double portion of that. So in the context of this, the oldest son would have gotten double portion of inheritance. When the father divided the estate with the younger son, notice that he says that he divided the property between them. So in other words, the oldest son also got his inheritance. In fact, he got double portion. Second thing the firstborn son gets is that he gets a special authority. And that is that he is the authority, the spokesperson, the right hand of the father. So when the father would go about his business or he would need something done, let's say in the marketplace, if he needs to buy slaves, if he needs to go and acquire land, if he needs to negotiate with different people and trade, the firstborn son had the authority to act on behalf of the father. So the firstborn son would go in the place of the father representing him. That's the second thing the firstborn son would get. And the third thing is, the firstborn son has a special responsibility. Why did the firstborn son get double portion of inheritance? It's because if in any situation, any of the younger siblings, family members got into trouble, if any of them got into debt, if any of them got taken away, abducted, It was the responsibility of the firstborn son to go out 
and to buy them back. The money, the double portion of inheritance was to protect the family. Now knowing this, let's have a look at the parable of the lost son. I'm just gonna go through it and let's have a look at it together. So starting from verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, one younger, the younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. We just mentioned that earlier. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. So if he divided the estate between them, that would have included land as well. So in other words, the younger son, not only did he take the money, but he sold the land and he gathered the wealth and he went to a distant country and squandered it. After that, they spent every, um, after that, there was severe famine in the whole country and then he hired himself to be a citizen of the country who, and they sent him to the feed, field to feed the pigs. Now, just understand this. To feed pigs would have been one of the most horrible things in that society. It would have been the lowest job that you can do because they were, what, ceremonially unclean? They weren't even allowed to eat pigs because they were unclean. But yet this son, this son who was rebellious, he went away, prostitutes, squandered his wealth, and he ends up with the pigs. Imagine if you're the audience thinking that, listening to this story. It would have really been on the tip of your nose, really uncomfortable, because it's so disgusting and unheard of in that culture. And he, go, and he thinks, he finally comes to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I am starving to death? So he plans he's gonna go back to the father and tell him, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against you. Please take me back as one of your servants so I can live and survive. Talk about a humbling experience. So he does that, he plans and he, he walks and you, you know the story. The father sees him from a distance and he is waiting for him, waiting for him, his arms wide, ready to embrace him. We know the story. But what did the older son do during this whole experience? Where, what was his role in all this? And I believe the Bible is just as clear. He did absolutely nothing. I picture it. This is the way I picture it. The estate was divided. I just picture the older son taking his wealth and hiding it somewhere, sitting on it for a day in which he can use it. We don't know, but he did nothing. So there are two people in the story. Which one are you? The older son got angry when the younger brother came back. So angry because his, here he was slaving away in the fields. He was so angry because his father had killed a fattened calf to let him sell, to celebrate the coming back of this son who was so bad. But wasn't his responsibility 
being the firstborn, to get out of the house, to actually go out into the world and to bring the younger son back? Wasn't that his responsibility? And yet he neglected it. In fact, because this, this is, and I, I want to emphasize this, it is so strange in that culture for the firstborn son to have this sort of reaction. Because he had the authority of the father. What on earth was the firstborn son doing slaving away in the field? He had the authority to order the servants to do the job, but yet he was there slaving away with the servants. And as the firstborn son, don't you think it's strange that he had to call the servants over? And I sort of picture it like this, him standing in the back corner, calling his servants over. Hey, what's happening in there? And it's only then that he found out that his younger brother had come back. That is not firstborn son behavior. Being the firstborn, he could have commanded, he could have walked right into the party and asked, what is happening? But yet he didn't do that. So maybe you're the prodigal son. And in coming in here, I've been praying and I've been reflecting in myself as well on the concept of, I guess, soul health. And it's something perhaps we don't talk about enough um, in church. Um, The thing is, we, we look at, I look at this verse, I look at this parable, and I've fallen into the trap of thinking that This is a parable that talks about people who turn away from Jesus, walk the opposite direction. But then I got thinking, perhaps that's an extreme and maybe that's you today. Maybe you have walked away from Christ and he's calling you back. But I believe that we turn from God and choose other things constantly in our daily lives. Just like what Jacinda was sharing earlier about things that we do. We, we sin, we think impure thoughts. And the thing is, these things, the, the longer we do it, the more numb we become to these sins. And before we know it, we have completely turned our backs on God and we don't even realize it because we go to church every week. So how healthy is your soul today? Having faith doesn't mean your soul is healthy. The voice of our soul can be difficult to hear because it generally generally comes out in symptoms rather than direct cries. Wouldn't it be easy if your soul cried out, hey, I'm hurting here, but instead it comes out in different ways like jealousy, frustration, insecurity, gossip, greed, These are all symptoms of something that's deeper inside of our hearts. So maybe you're the first, you're the the prodigal son who has made a choice to turn away from God. Just through making choices. And it's interesting that the spirit will prompt you. The first time you do something wrong, the spirit prompts you. You feel the guilt. But then if you choose to ignore it, a few times, maybe a dozen. I don't know whether you've experienced this, but I can definitely empathize with that in my life. I, can't, I don't feel the guilt anymore. I can't hear the voice. It's because we become numb. Or maybe 
you are the older son. Because in Jesus, we know that we have a special inheritance. In fact, we've got an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. In Jesus, we know that we have the authority to act on behalf of him. And we know that in Jesus, we have a special responsibility, and that is to go out into the world, the pigsties of our nation, our country, and our neighborhood, and bring people back into relationship with their father. But yet we haven't done that. So which son are you today? Are you the oldest son, or are you the younger son? What's fascinating about this story is that in those days, garments, rings, and such have symbolic meaning of status. When the youngest son comes back to the father, what does he do? The the father embraced him and he took a ring and put it on his finger. You don't have to be the first one born to be firstborn. Jacob and Esau, we know that uh, Esau sold his birthright. We know that Joseph was younger than his brothers, but yet the Bible talks about him being the firstborn. We are firstborns in Jesus Christ. It is not necessarily the first one out of the womb, but a title that has been given by the Father. Turn with me, please, to Colossians 1. Fifteen, one fifteen, And let's have a look at this that we've been looking at for the past, we looked at it, I think, about three weeks ago. And let's see it with a new light, a new perspective. Okay, 15. The son of the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Jesus is the firstborn of all of creation. Does that mean that he's been, he was the first person born into the world out of a womb? Absolutely not. But he did have those three things. He had the title. He had, he was, he had that special inheritance. You know, Jesus, he came down from heaven's glory. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. All things are held together by him, as the, sun, as the scriptures say. On heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Jesus had that inheritance, has that inheritance. The second thing is that Jesus has a special authority. It says here that whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him, Jesus had that special authority. He, was, he is the right hand man of the Father to give him permission to act on behalf. And the last thing is he had a special responsibility. What did Jesus do? He came down from heaven's glory. 
He came down from heaven. He was born into this world. And what for? To go out into the world to seek those who are hurting, lost, displaced, and to bring his brothers and sisters of all colors, of all nationalities, back embrace, into the embrace of the Father. Where the oldest son failed, Jesus succeeded. Let's go on and have a look what else it says. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, that is the church, and he's the, um, he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. That's interesting. And for God had, was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Hebrews 12.22. I'm just going to read it out, but feel free to jot it down or look it up. But you have come, and it's talking about the kingdom of God, but you have come to Mount Zion, city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, to the church of the firstborn, who names are written in heaven. The church of the firstborn. We belong to the church of the firstborn. In Jesus, we are firstborn ones. We are commissioned. Lastly, I just want to end in this thought. We have been given a birthright in Jesus. And I just want us to spend some time with God. Just allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And this is something that um, we did as an activity when I did a subject at Bible College called Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of a class, what they would do is the teacher would put up a picture or um, a poem. And what we would do is we would look at the picture and we would ask God what he wants to say to us through the image. Now, this is a, a famous artwork Uh, I think it is called the prodigal son. I'm not entirely sure. In the image, what we have is the father embracing the son that was lost. But notice also in the background, who's in the shadows looking over? The older son and the other people. I don't know who they are. (laughs) But let's take a moment and I'm going to invite the band to come up. And God can speak to us in different ways, I find, it could be, you could notice the light that's touching the father's head. You could notice the darkness, the shadows. You could notice the sun. Or God could even give you a feeling when you look at this, a feeling. Or he could even speak to you about something that's totally unrelated. Nonetheless, let's spend some time with God in this space. How is your soul health? How is your relationship with the Father? He's here. He's waiting for you to come back to him. He loves you. Let's not be numb to him. Let's go back to him because he's got open arms. And sometimes in my own experience, I expect to feel something miraculous, um, some sort of a sign when I talk to God. But quite often I find God talks to us through the whispers. And do you know why he whispers? 
because he's close. Spend some time. I know. Just read Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He restores it. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the rest of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, you don't just want to fill us. You want us to overflow. And it says in Psalms that it is you that restores our soul. It is not self-help books. It is not talking it out to a friend, even though those, that's fine. It is not exercising, it is not meditating, it is not yoga, it is not all these things that we fill our lives with, but it's coming before the throne of Christ. You restore our soul. And you guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You guide us, you walk with us. And even though we are in a season where we're going through a valley, the valley of the shadow of death, we can walk through it boldly because you are standing by our side because your rod and your staff is comforting us. We are accepted and loved because you prepared a table before us in the presence of those that mock us, in the presence of those that disapprove of us, in the presence of our enemies. You anoint us with oil, that oil that's only reserved for royalty. And our cup, our water within our heart overflows. Surely goodness and love follow us today, Lord. And for the rest of the week and for the rest of the month. Because we want to dwell in your house forever. Amen.